Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Well, if you've listened for any length of time, you know that this is the half hour we save for wisdom with our friend, Mr. Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor. We'll save about the last 30 minutes of the show for more phone calls. And, of course, we'll do this again tomorrow morning from uh, 8 until 11. So if you call and get in today, we'll we'll have plenty of other opportunities. Right now, though, I have the pleasure of punching that line right there and saying good morning, Howard. Good morning, everybody. How is everything in the Metroplex? Interesting thing. In fact, just during this break, I was looking at your weather forecast, and you're actually forecast to be a little warmer than we are this uh, next few days. We're, we're going to get pretty chilly if the weathermen are right this time around. Yeah, I heard a number of uh, 39 as a low, but boy, it's just, you know, so I have a long sleeve shirt. I went out with, <laughs> with Tater this morning. I came back in and changed. It was uh, still very, very warm. So I guess it's moving in. We're getting a little little misty rain right now. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, they're they're showing thirty four for Bernie on Tuesday morning. So hope they're wrong. I that's this is uh you know, it gets a little late in the spring, but we have had cold weather late and Easter's late. I don't know whether there's anything to it, but that's what a lot of the, the old-timers, although I hate to say it, I guess we're getting to be old-timers a little bit, but the, the real old-timers used to always say if Easter's late, you'll have some late cold, so maybe there's something to it. Well, I got a couple of reports. I got a hops report first. My hops uh, vine looked like it was completely dead. I mean, it just looked like straw up on the fence. Uh-huh. And it's coming out of the ground like gangbusters now. So oh. this is my first time to have grown it. So I guess that's what it's supposed to do. The other thing that's kind of exciting is I have buds all over my kiwis. Oh, good. I may actually have some fruit, which is going to be a little bit of a surprise because I only have three uh, plants now. I started off with about seven or eight <laughs> and through the blazing summer. And, and where I've got some of them was on a a fence facing uh, west. And one thing about those, if any of you try them, and probably the best place to get the starts is from Stephen F. Austin, the stuff that the mm-hmm. David Creech is working on over there. But they they require a lot of water, and I missed a couple of days and just let them get a little too dry, and that, that is a death uh, warrant right there. Now, they, they are separate plants, male and female, are they not? Yeah, yes, they are, and... And apparently you don't know what you've got <laughs> until several years in, and uh, I have no idea what the one is. I, I'm sure David knows how to do it. I need to talk to him and get a little uh, more education on that. But the one I've got that's not against the fence, and it gets a little protection from the uh, late afternoon sun is mm. the one that's doing the best in, in his setting. His little orchard at Stephen F. Austin is out in full sun. Uh-huh. But it's it's on trellises, and he waters the heck out of it. He was telling me how many gallons of water, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was a lot, a lot of water. Well, the, it's just Stephen F. Austin Nacogdoches is just just a little different than that Dallas summer or that San Antonio summer. I don't know whether it's the humidity, but uh, 
my experience is when I spent my year over in that part of the world, and, uh, and, and even, of course, I was born in Tyler. don't remember a lot about the first few years of my life, but uh, it's, it's, we just are in a little bit, somehow the summer's just a little bit harder on the plants, both in Dallas and in San Antonio. They seem to be over in the East Texas area, so he's in a good place, and he's, gosh, he certainly is a knowledgeable individual. He's done great things with the Arboretum over there. Yeah, he's done a lot of work on ball cypress, probably as much as anybody. He goes to China a couple of times a year, and, and um, he works, you know, on the Montezuma cypresses, mm-hmm. and crosses, and all that kind of thing. And that, that's where I got the uh, my offspring of the uh, the uh, fabulous tree in Oaxaca. He's the one that uh, got came up with it. That's it fantastic. was a cutting from a seedling, really, from uh, the uh, Arbolda del Tule. So. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's planted on the west side of my office and living, growing, doing pretty well over there. And they're pretty fast growing, aren't they? Quite a bit faster than regular ball cypress, maybe as much as double in some cases. Yeah, and, it, the only fatal flaw or flaw, not fatal flaw, but uh, flaw that it has is that they're so close to being evergreen that they can get some ice damage. Yeah, they'll load up and they'll they'll break we had there's a big one at lakewood country club that i gave the club years ago it's by the putting greens uh near the parking lot and the pro shop and everything in there and it's big it's a big one it it was one that uh back when i was uh, associated with lambert's and the nod burnett company mm-hmm. and everything nod had grown <clears throat> trees at his farm for years and years and it was there and I talked to him about it one time, and he didn't know how it happened. And that's kind of how the one happened at Frito Lay's national headquarters. There's mm-hmm. a big one right mm-hmm. at the front door. And I, I designed, you know, the landscaping there, and I designed ball cypress into the that water area uh, where the drive around is, right at the front door. And lo and behold, one of them turns out to be a, a Montezuma, and it's where you can tell the difference in the growth rate pretty pretty substantially because it uh, has just dominated uh, the, the regular ball cypress in that area. And that's interesting. So the ball cypress will tolerate, uh, you know, a, I mean, the Montezuma cypress will tolerate a, a very moist soil as well as doing very well in a drier soil. I think it takes basically the same conditions. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the one, we've got one in Dallas, and it's here in Lakewood, actually. It's got a trunk diameter of close to three feet and it's it's tall it's a big tree <clears throat> and it's you know in that black soil with the white rock sure you know, pretty close underneath same same that i have here there's a pretty big one that's in uh mckinney of course mckinney it has black soils and some sandy soils. right i think it would do best in in deep soils just like we uh you know fine for most any uh, trees uh, at all. I think that's why things grow better over there, like you were talking in yeah. East Texas yeah. than they do here. That soil is just you know, more conducive to a root system getting big. And the Montezuma uh, cypress rarely produces the knees that the ball cypress does, does it? Uh, it never does. Never does. Never it's, has. It's interesting, and I, I did not re- realize that David was doing that much research. Uh, it's interesting that the ball cypress that grow along the Guadalupe uh, down on and near Roberta's property rarely ever make the knees, but uh, there there seems to be more of a, there seems to be a great deal of genetic variation in ball cypress, depending on uh, what part of the country they come from. 
Oh, they're they're just like oaks. They're uh-huh. promiscuous as they can be. They crossbreed like crazy, and and that's that's kind of what he's been working on there. So if you have a crossbreed that's mostly Montezuma, they probably won't have the knees. Mm-hmm. Ones that uh, I've run into in Dallas, there's another big one between me and uh, Central Expressway over uh-huh. there, kind of in the M Street area over there, and it's a big one too. It's in the front yard, and it's very close to the house. And all of them that I've spotted that are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they don't have a single knee, not one. Very good. Uh, the and, knees are interesting, but they can sure play hell with the lawnmower. <laughs> and, yeah, they can I, be a problem. I like them. I think they are very decorative, you know, actually. But uh, that's one advantage of the uh, of the Montezuma. You know, the big uh, the big tree in Oaxaca doesn't have any knees at all mm-hmm. neither does the sun that's uh you know only 1500 years old yeah unlike the unlike the mm-hmm. the daddy that's what 24 2800 years now yeah some people argue that even more than that I usually tell people it's around 3000 they <laughs> officially call it you know 2500 or 2700 or something like that it's, but it, it's more than twice uh as big as the as the sun and they're claiming uh, it's around 1500 so whatever it is it's an old tree well and it's one of those that i'm glad to say has made its way into the nursery trade to the point that the montezuma is is fairly fairly widely available and um it's it sure is a good tree i wish i could say that some of our other trees that we like real well just just hard to get something introduced and uh i guess the tree growers if they can't sell ten thousand of them the first year they're just not happy but uh montezuma is one of those things that uh came came on the scene in the nursery industry probably 15 years or so ago and i'm i'm sure glad uh that it did so because it sure is a good tree it's great there's a big one at the arboretum too that uh has been there a long time it's a real big tree i tell you another one that just continues to impress me and my little uh, mini arboretum at my office is the uh, Mexican white oak. That mm-hmm. thing uh, it just is pretty year-round. It's pretty right now because, in fact, I, 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 I thought about getting a picture yesterday, and I didn't. I need to do it today. It's loaded with flowers right now. It's even pretty when it has all of its uh, catkins and everything on the uh, tree. But it's it's a true evergreen here. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem to have any problems at all. I, think, I just love the thing. I I am in total agreement. We have been very fond of that tree since it first came on the market. And, uh, uh, of course, we're so concerned about uh, oak wilt down here. And it's almost 100%, uh, or at least if it gets it, it's rarely a a problem to it. But uh, Mexican white oak is, and it's one of the faster growing of the oaks, too. It's, uh, I think, much faster even than bur oak or some of the others. Uh, probably not some of the ones in the red oak group, but uh, it's it, it's an excellent tree. And like you say, it's just pretty much problem free uh we do find that if we get a real cold winter it's partly deciduous but this is time of year that it's shedding off a few of the older leaves and that new growth it's just almost purple in color it, it's a beautiful tree well there must be some genetic differences there i guess because mine you know through the, the this 20 degree weather just you know barely over 20 degrees that mm-hmm. we had it didn't affect it at all so i'm sure it's like most 
most oaks, there's going to be a lot of difference. My little uh, lacy oak is just doing great. I love it, too, now that I've exposed the flare properly like <laughs> I tell everybody else to do. It doesn't even have the fuzzy galls on it anymore. completely disappeared. It was a dramatic thing for it because before I more dramatically exposed the base, it it had a very serious load of fuzzy galls and starting to look pretty bad. Exposed the base, the next growing season, bang, not one. And that is so interesting. And you've seen the same thing on mistletoe, that once you got the galls exposed oh, yeah. on any tree, the mistletoe goes away. <laughs> you can see the mistletoe turn brown and fade away after doing it during the growing season. And if you do it uh, during the, the winter, what you'll see is it just kind of slowly fade out over over time, it's pretty pretty impressive. The holes from the sapsucker birds mm-hmm. go away. Um, I think that ball moss will too, and it's a little bit different mode of action there. What happens there is when you expose the flare, the, the canopy thickens up, and so the ball moss just doesn't yeah. you know, have yeah. the the same kind of conditions to uh, to thrive, and so it that kind of fades it away too. It's so interesting, and and I think one thing that I had really not thought about till uh, we had our arborist over talking uh, about root flare exposure the other day, and I was always thinking that you know when we didn't have exposed root flares, that the trees would many times just go into a you know sort of a decline that just would fail to thrive. But he was saying that he thinks it's a leading cause of sudden death in trees. He says he feels like that the tree just draws down its reserve when that flare is buried to the point where there's no reserve left and just overnight the tree up and dies he says that he's finding more and more where people have uh trees that have been there for years they just you know one day to the next they just decline and die and he feels like uh it's the buried root flare that does that so it's not always a gradual thing if you people have buried root flares they ought to be exposing them because sometimes by the time the symptom shows up it's too late yeah, I think that it relates to a lot of things. Somebody just sent me some pictures I was looking at this morning that they were at a talk I did yesterday, last night, and they they showed me their trees had blown over and uh, wanted to talk a little bit more about them. And the trees have no roots. I mean, they have yep. roots had already rotted away and everything. And the reason is they weren't they just weren't exposed properly. Now you can with a tree exposed properly, you can still cause problems by overwatering or sure. having poor sure. drainage or something like that. But by far the most common thing we run into is that the trees are just too deep in the ground. Yeah. And sometimes much, much too deep. Well on a different subject, how did your uh how did your public appearance last Saturday morning go? Did you have a, another big crowd and raise some more money for torque and spread your art around a little bit? Yeah, I can't remember where I was last Saturday. Whatever it was it was great. We just continued to have good uh responses from everybody I'm, I'm speaking today on i'm doing the fab fabulous trees uh again i keep refining it and i'm starting to like it more and more what, what i've put together uh there we're at walton's garden center across from the arboretum this oh, morning. well not such a long drive that's a neat little garden center over there too well i was certainly thinking about you this week i'm doing a talk this morning just on general soil building, natural soil building, and I pulled out uh, my old organic manual, uh, and that's still a great little book for people that are looking for just a good book to give us a gift. Uh, I think it's still available. Uh, they're still printing it, aren't they? 
It's, oh yeah! In fact, it's been redone. The, yep. uh, the yep. current one, Mother Earth News uh, did. We need to figure out some way for y'all to to get. I guess y'all can just buy it from Mother Earth because it's it's by far got the most current information hmm. in yep. any of my yep. books, especially about the uh, tree base work and all that stuff. Well, this mine mine says fourth edition, so it's it's one of the updated ones. But it's just you start. You start looking through it, and it's just it's amazing how much material is in a very concise uh, place there. I mean, compared to your big book, I love the big book because of all the color and everything else, but that the simple organic manual is still one of the best things out if you're trying to get people interested in doing it doing it the right way. And, you know uh, what that book was to begin with, don't you? That was a free handout at at the first <laughs> seminars that I did years uh-huh. ago, and I just GBC bound it, you know, and people started calling me and asking me for it after the uh, talks, and we ended up putting it into a uh, uh, you know, into a book and yep. self-publishing it at first, and then, of course, did it with uh, publishers, and then the latest thing is making the, the, uh, the latest deal with Mother Earth News. We're going to go to Mother Earth News in a couple of weeks, uh, the, it'll be on the website under appearances to Asheville, hmm. North Carolina. That'll be the first, uh, the next one that I do with them. That sounds beautiful part of the world. Oh gosh, and it should be it should be beautiful spring out there. You probably still catch yeah. the rhododendrons and a lot of lot of things in bloom. Well, that'll be that'll be a great trip. I had a caller ask me something this morning that I have to admit I don't know the reason for. Said that. This year they have an abnormally large number of the peaches. You know how those sometimes form, in effect, a double peach, um, where it's like two peaches almost were conjoined together and tried to grow and said, uh, what causes that? Do you do you have any idea what, what the actual cause is? Well, it's probably a form of what's called fasciation. Mm-hmm. You, it's a deformity yeah. that you get. One of the prettiest ones I've ever seen, and we've got a picture of it on uh, in the website, but it formed on a uh, Texas mountain laurel, and it was the flower, and it formed a big, long fan-shaped kind of a thing, just really pretty. Now, we uh, see that all the time down here. Yeah, it's uh, that's what coxcomb is. Mm-hmm. Coxcomb is the fastiation. <laughs> right, uh, right. You know, it's deformity, and the uh, it happens on all kinds of plants and, and shows up in different ways, so I'll bet you... That's that's what that is. When that's interesting. That would make real good sense. Sure would. Yeah. Well, just one of those unusual years. One other thing I wanted to pass along to you. I had uh, lunch with our uh, our favorite GMO watchdog person, and she was telling me that they have the thing we really need to be watching for in the GMO world is uh, the uh, they've approved here a new GMO salmon, and it's just crazy what they've done with producing this thing she said if you are concerned as we certainly are well with the genetically modified thing she said be sure if you like salmon that you're eating the wild caught because if it doesn't say wild caught it is probably one of the farm raised ones and probably one of the gmo ones absolutely but you also have the problem of being totally honest with you about where they came from oh yeah and all you can do is yeah the buyer beware on that kind of thing. We've got a new landscape company. It's one of the bigger ones here in Dallas that I haven't worked with before that's talking to us very seriously right now about dropping Roundup from their operation. They've been using a lot of organic techniques in mm-hmm. general, but they've 
continued to use, like a lot of people do, Roundup, you know, being not understanding about how dangerous it is. Right. And so we're going to try to help them with, uh, you know, which what's a better way to go. And there's new tools uh, coming out more and more all the time. This Pure Grow product, that's a cinnamon and clove thing, just mm-hmm. continues to impress me. And uh, there's several others. And I think that the large chemical companies, maybe even Monsanto will get into it too, will will are and will be getting into it more trying to figure out some alternatives themselves so we've, we've got things going in the right direction there and it's uh, it's pretty cool i had a caller this morning told me that they had seen that miracle grow is now advertising an organic product and i i haven't seen really? it yet so i haven't, I haven't had a chance but uh i the good news is that it uh you know that it does mean that uh we're we're putting some pressure on them with uh people learning about how much better organics are i doubt that they're probably going to be the quality that you and i would use and recommend but it's always interesting to me uh it's like just watching the grocery stores and watching the nurseries how so many of them had to start out with a little bit of an organic section and how many of them have greatly expanded it because the demand is so strong for it yeah, definitely moving in the right uh, direction. We need to uh, uh, keep up the uh, work. Oh, I know where I was last week. I just drew a blank a minute ago. I was over there in Mount Pleasant at the uh, Cypress Basin. Uh, it was great. They had a great show. In fact, they, uh, they're they growing all their own plants now in their own greenhouse operations associated you know, with the Master Gardener Program mm-hmm. over there. And <clears throat> so all the plants they were selling were things they grew themselves with the exception of some of the little woody uh, things it was great. I bought bought some things myself. Had a good uh, turnout, and uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, came and talked about getting into <laughs> organics. And some of them already were. And the fact that that's a master gardener deal that was interested in having me as the as the uh, keynote speaker is a, a good move in the right direction by itself. I'm I'm always so pleased to hear that, and. Uh, um unfortunately so many places the master gardeners just parrot what uh you know what a&m is putting out and one of our one of our well-known uh people from over in that part of the world were you know bad mouthing us again the other day and i just kind of smile and say well you know we've got about 40 times more listeners than you do and we've got people you know converting all the time realizing how much simpler and better organics are and I guess, uh, you know, for the ones that uh, don't want to pay attention to what I hope the future holds, uh, uh, they can go on being that way. But I, I continue to be just so pleased. And and one thing that we've noticed at Shades of Green is uh, is the average age of our customer has probably dropped 20 years. As one of, my, one of our employees said the other day, said, you know, it's one of our longtime employees said, seems like a long time ago, uh, you know, that, that our average customer was probably significantly older, but we have so many young people, so many of, uh, college kids, kids recently out of college, young professionals. And, uh, it's, it's just highly gratifying. It just puts a smile on my face to look out and see how many people are getting into it and how many people would not even think about going other than organic. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, that's like today at my talk with Walton's, you know, right across from, uh, the Arboretum and Forest Hills and Lakewood and that uh, that whole deal. So maybe a younger uh, bunch there too. And of course, that brings up a real sore spot for me, and that's the Arboretum. You know, yep. all the yep. 
people that ought to be into what we're talking about, it's them, and they're nowhere close to it. They've got that big new children's yeah. uh, area. It's been unbelievable amounts of money there, and they talked about it being sub, sub, uh, sustainable, you know. Oh, yeah. Use those kind of words instead of organic. They used to have an allergy to really making a commitment to go to an organic program. Well, we're we're undergoing through, as I think I told you, a, a big transition um, at the San Antonio Botanical Garden. They ran off our director that had, unfortunately, not brought them organic, but had done so much garden development. And he's moved back to Nashville now, and uh, I'm... They've kind of left me out of the loop. I don't know whether it's intentional or otherwise, even though I'm supposedly serving on a couple of their committees. It's it's certainly my hope that maybe we'll get a foot in the door and, and get people turned a little bit more organic down here. But I, I just don't understand the resistance. I don't understand the resistance up in Dallas unless they're being funded. Uh, you know, their their society is being funded by some of the more chemically dominated interest out there, but um, I, I, it it amazes me. I, if nothing other than the potential uh, legal things with with putting all this known bad stuff out there for kids to go out and roll on and play in. Uh, I know when we made a trip up in the northeastern part of the country and talking to some of the big uh, gardens up around Philadelphia, that was one of their big driving things. They're saying, oh, we feel, we feel like we have to be organic uh, because of the kids and because of the potential litigation issues if somebody gets sick. So whatever it takes, I don't know why it's so slow happening. Well, it's, i tell you what it is, and I've been dealing with it forever and the and one of the first times I dealt with it was at the Arboretum. I was on a committee years ago and I brought it up and Ralph Pincus was there on that committee and he was the first one to say this, but young guys like Warren Johnson and other people <laughs> chimed in and said the same thing and that was, you know, this is the Arboretum. You know, what would happen if if insects or diseases come in, you know, we, we can't risk, you know, using an organic program. That's that's the most powerful part of the resistance. They, they don't they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to do it like you and I do, and, and all of our friends and customers and so forth. And so they avoid it. They do what is the you know university recommended oh, yeah. thing because it takes them off the hook. You know if it doesn't work doing the the chemical approach, it's not their fault. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Same thing with golf course superintendents. What I run into all the time, they're going to do what the other superintendents are doing, what the USGA says, and what the universities say. And then if the greens fail, not their fault. <laughs> That's the biggest problem that we have. Is Tierra Verde still on the organic uh, program out there? Up there, I haven't talked to him in a while. The guy that I dealt with moved up and is uh, has a higher job. The last time I talked to him, they're still doing the organic. Good. Uh, fertility uh, program but still used a, a very much reduced uh, you know arsenal of, of pesticides so i think they're they're as close to it as anybody in the business and it's well, I, I need to follow up too we have a course down here that is uh, uh claims to be close to 100 percent organic i don't know what they're doing herbicide wise and just frankly i'd uh, I haven't haven't checked on them recently. I just need to put that in my agenda of things to do. But uh, I, I would hope that some of these courses would look good enough because I know they do 
that it, that would get the attention of some of the others. But I don't know. I guess that they want to keep on spending millions of dollars rebuilding their greens and fighting all the other issues. Uh, I, <laughs> I just don't understand it, but I guess we're maybe we'll make some progress there one of these days. But uh, I'm I'm really be interested to hear how you talk at Walton's goes today. I, I know it'll be great, but uh, uh, be interested to hear what your audience is like. Well, it's our first time there. They've been into organics for a, a while, and yeah. they're asking us what to carry and want to do a full bore kind of thing. And it's one of the dirt doctor destinations, so they're already there to a degree. It's going to see. It's going to be interesting to see what the customers. Well, uh, that's like in, in my opinion, they're one of your two or three top nurseries in the Dallas area. So you yeah. get them. Go in that direction, that's a good thing. Well, as always, we sure enjoy a little Saturday morning visit here, and uh, it'll be, once again, a very interesting week, and we'll have plenty to talk about next time around. Well, you can, t- you can tell by my voice there's a lot of pollen out there, so be careful. <laughs> yeah, you you and, it, and me both. I uh, uh, Maybe maybe this north wind will blow it all down to Mexico or something, and, and we'll be free of it next time. See everybody next week. Thanks, Bob. I thank you, Howard, very much. <coughs> Excuse me. There it is right there. Mr. Trevor Garrett is, of course, the Dirt Doctor, and uh, his website, dirtdoctor.com, absolutely the best on the Internet for information related to organics, related to landscaping, to gardening, to all things related. Uh, you're just going to find a wealth of information at dirtdoctor.com. Hope you make it your go-to source where you need information. So much of what uh, is out there on the Internet certainly does not apply to our areas. Virtually everything on DirtDoctor.com is uh, is just as uh, just as good here in South Texas as it is in North Texas. All right, back to gardening and straight to the phone lines. Going to be Betty and Joyce and James and Shannon. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. Good morning. I have two questions. The first is about my Meyer lemon tree. Okay. It is in a pot. We moved last October to New Braunfels, and it is in full sun. Mm-hmm. Last year, I had two dozen lemons. At least, and this, and it had uh, lots of blooms this spring. But when they fell off, I only have one lemon. The rest are like tiny little cups, just tiny little empty cups where the blossom had been. You know, it probably is due to two things. Probably at least partially weather related, and it is very normal for Myers lemons if they produce a heavy crop one year. Sometimes it's just a little lighter crop the next year. Um, I wouldn't say it's beyond question that some of those things little lemons have been very slow to start developing because we've been pretty cool but i don't think there's anything wrong with your tree it may be going through a little bit of shock just from being moved from one environment to the other but uh it's it's not unusual that if you have a real heavy crop one year sometimes it'll be a little bit lighter the next so long as the tree looks good just hang in there usually when it has a lighter crop it means the following year it once again will be just almost an overflow crop oh that'd be wonderful Okay. My second one is in the front yard, there's a really nice uh, tree, but the roots are exposed. Uh, you know, they're like on top of the ground. That's is a that good thing. Dangerous? Oh, that's a good thing. That's okay. a very I good thing. I didn't cover them, and I got some of the mulch away from the to make the root flare more visible. You so, did it exactly right. <laughs> Pat okay. on the back to you. Gold star today for uh, Betty. Okay. Okay, so there's nothing I have to do about those roots. They, I mean, the tree is probably 15 years old. Yeah. 
No, you know, it's a very healthy tree, and that's your best uh, thing that you can do to ensure that it stays a healthy, vigorous tree. Okay. Thank you so much. You have a good day. You do the same, and thank okay. you. Bye. Joyce's turn. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Mr. Bob. How are you today? Well, I have a bit of the croak. Uh, <laughs> As everybody does. <laughs> yep. But anyway, I'm going to stick to just one question because I know this is a busy time. The rest can wait. And that has to do with umbrella grass. Mm -hmm. I had a a little pot of umbrella grass, and it pretty much froze back. And I didn't know what what it was going to do. It doesn't look like it's coming back out. But one of the uh, bigger stalks is green, uh, except for the leaf crown around there mm-hmm. and it's got lots of the little flowers in the center uh-huh. and i noticed that some of the others that are drier and kinked over and what are starting to get those little flower clusters in the center so i guess the plant's alive but my question is i know you said that you could take those and turn them upside down and mm-hmm. plant them but my question is then do you cut off that ring of green leaves do you plant the flowers do you wait until the flowers go away and <laughs> You know, give me a, an idea because I've never I've tried it a time or two, but not been successful. Well, I'd wait till it's a little warmer. Okay. Um, what I do on that ring of leaves, that umbrella from which this actually is sedge, of course, yeah. and um, I don't cut them all the way off, but I cut it down. If those little individual leaves are four inches long, yeah. I'll cut them back to where it's a circle. This may be just an inch and a half long on each leaf. I kind of thought that was the case. And then don't, you know, actually do actually bury it in the perlite. Don't put it right up on the top. You want it to where there's nothing but that green stem sticking up above the perlite. I don't know whether the flowers really make any difference or not, but um, they, uh, you know, should be very successful in rooting. Now, the papyrus, which is its first cousin, is not as cold-hardy. But umbrella grass, unless it's gotten too dry at some point, uh, it almost certainly will come out beautifully for you as it warms up a little more. Okay. I think it probably will because it looks like the, the stems and things where they haven't kinked over are very green. and so. Uh, and I, but the reason I want to call today is I wanted to know whether to bury it before the flowers or after the flowers or with the flowers. I would, I would bury it, you know, an inch down, flowers or no. Okay, and wait until what? About another month until it warms up a little bit more. I'm uh, who I'm, I'm not about to go out on a limb and guess what the weather's going to be. It's been substantially cool. I would say after Easter, we probably will have a pretty good warm up, and then you can do it about any time you want to. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Well, I thank you so very much. Please give the uh, fuzzy kids, uh, both of them, uh, well, all of them, all of them, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> an extra hug, and we'll talk again. I look forward to it, Joyce. Thank you so very much. I guess we better finish up with gardening, though. We're going to talk to James and Shannon, and uh, James is up first. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm good this morning. How about you? Yeah, I'm checking out the tomatoes out here in the tomato house, man. There, I got some golf ball size little green tomatoes on these early girls. <laughs> oh, it just makes your mouth water to think when we get back to eating that homegrown stuff instead of that cardboard they sell at the grocery store, doesn't it? Oh, man, yeah, I can't wait. Um, I heard you and Howard talking, and... Uh, let me tell you the story. Uh, the nice lady out of Medina sent me a, a box full of her. Uh, they've got a, a brochure on uh, garden uh, fertilizers. Yeah. 
and then for the farmer, they have a, a real nice brochure on how to use the biological products. And uh, I I talk to people that listen to me about uh, the uh, biological hay program that, mm-hmm. that Tina has that not a whole lot of people know about. And there there's quite a bit of interest in it, but the thing is, when uh, when the producers want to go rent, rent a spray tank from the feed store, mm-hmm. the, feeds, the feed store guys are, you know, there are uh, no biologicals in my spray tank because that's going to clog up all the sprayers and, and just render them unserviceable. So there's, there's always, don't feel bad about, you know, those chemical guys getting in the way because there's all kinds of ways for them to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've yet to see a sprayer clogged up. In fact, the only sprayer I see saw clogged up was a dummy that sells sprayers that dumped dry molasses into his tank, thinking it was going to dissolve. And uh, uh, you know, I, I guess there, there's just no cure for doing dumb stuff every now and then. But the organic products like Medina makes—they're not—they don't. Have you ever had a clogged problem? No, but it's a good excuse that oh, yeah. people can use to to shut you down and and make you buy their product. Sure. So don't don't feel bad when you get uh, get stymied by those chemical guys because that's their job. You know they oh, don't yeah. they don't want organics because they're they're pushing their own uh, their own chemicals. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad at least we're doing it right. So everything's growing well for you. Looking forward to a good spring. Oh yeah, I did a little. Uh, I don't do much tilling, but I got the tractor out and did a little tilling. I'm going to plant a row of uh, of uh, sunflowers for cut flowers. Uh-huh. I'm out here looking at the, the bed. That's uh, something that I wanted to get going is uh, is the sunflowers because you've got to. A source for uh, beneficials, and you've also got a, a product at the end of the day for sale. Right. Do you grow the big mammoth Russians, or which ones do you grow? No, just the 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 branch. It's a branching sunflower. Okay. Um, you start them from seed, go to transplants, and then put them out about two foot apart, and you get about twenty twenty or so cut flowers per plant. That's they're a, not as big as the ones that you're talking about, but they're still oh yeah, pretty, pretty nice. And they last, and they're so colorful. I'm I'm a big fan of sunflowers. So, well, listen, you keep up the good work, and um, glad Medina's taking care of you. And uh, I, I need to get Stewart on sometime to talk about all the different things they do because they've got some uh, they've got some great microbial products out there. They're really aimed at agriculture. So. Anyway, so much to talk about. James, it's good to hear from you. Let's talk tomorrow, and let me get Shannon in here before the end of the show. Good morning, Shannon. Yes, sir. I just wanted to call in and, and thank you all for going with the organics because I go to church with some people that wanted to get some manure for me for my cows and my horses, and I had to sit there and explain to them about the El Picloran. Now, I don't yeah. think they still believe me. So I told him put some put a I brought him a 50-pound bag. I said, put it in a bucket, put water in it. I said, you got some weeds, let it dissolve good, pour it on it. About three days later, his weeds were turning yellow and dying. Yeah. And it's just, you can't find hay without it. It don't matter whether it's for horses or cows. And it's it's a shame because used to manure was some of your best product, but you can't do it now. 
Well, it's the the uh, uh, the one thing about hay, and I don't know what your experience is, but I'm finding that very few people spray Sudan. Sudan hay is harder to find. It's better for cows, I think, than coastal by far. But uh, uh, and then of course, if you find alfalfa, uh, if you've got the money to pay for it, alfalfa is a legume, so they can't use picloram on it. But you're exactly right; it's getting awful hard to find. I love Sudan. Uh, I used to work for Swope Drilling, and old man Swope used to raise a lot of Sudan back there. <laughs> and the cows will go right past alfalfa and the coastal and go to that Sudan because it's got that sweet taste to it. You know, I've got to ask Larry if they're still growing Sudan back there. They still have a they still have a, a permit to uh, to grow hay back there. So I'll, I've been looking for a good source of Sudan, and uh, Larry and John, the sons are. Are, are great people, and you've given me another good excuse to stop by and visit with them. Shannon, I appreciate the call.